All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Compliance Guy. My name is Sean Weiss, and as always, I want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule each and every single day to tune in and listen to what it is that I and my special guests have to say with respect to regulatory compliance, the business of medicine, and healthcare in general. Today, I am actually joined by a vendor, <clears throat> but this is not just any vendor. This is a vendor that I've had a long-term ongoing relationship with and a vendor that has proven themselves to be so invaluable to our clients because they not only pride themselves on customer service, but they pride themselves on dropping what they're doing, picking up whatever it is that the client is struggling with and getting it to a final resolution. Uh, this is why I've stuck with them as my uh, credit card servicing processor of choice for my clients, irrespective of whether they were a solo practice or a large integrated delivery health system. Um, and you may be wondering, who is it that I'm talking about? Well, Card Choice International is a premier provider of business solutions offering secure, custom-tailored, electronically driven financial products and services designed to help their clients maximize their revenue generation while reducing expenses. Card Choice International is committed to enhancing the success of their clients by delivering industry-leading payment tools and innovative options. They are price-sensitive, service-oriented, and they are designed to help you increase your margin of profit while improving customer loyalty and enhancing customer satisfaction with all of the convenient options that you want to provide to your customers. Card Choice International offers complete payment, revenue cycle management, electronic payment processing, e-business solutions, and a variety of other options that allow you to do a whole bunch of things. And, and, and really, I, I don't want to make this into an infomercial because the reason why I invited the guys on today is not to push their business. And I promise you that by the end of this, this podcast, I think you're going to understand why you want to reach out to them and have a conversation around what's going on in your business and how you can increase your bottom line how you can maximize your customer satisfaction and how you can get away from paying the exorbitant prices that you're paying to the banks and to other vendors who continue to jack your prices up. But the main reason why I asked the guys to be on the program today is to talk about something that I think is extremely important and it just does not get enough airtime. So I wanted to take the time to be able to have an in-depth conversation about PCI compliance. So again, <clears throat> this is the compliance guy, and we are going to talk about an aspect of compliance, but this is tied to financial compliance. And again, it's referred to as PCI compliance. And I have Ray McGrogan and Steve Kleinberg here with me. They are the co-founders of Card Choice International. But beyond that, these guys over the last probably, I don't know, five, six, eight years, whatever it is now. Um, have honestly become uh, true friends of mine. And um, in that fashion, I want to make sure that I give them uh, a platform to be able to share the incredible work that they're doing for their clients. And they can share with you some of the stories that their clients, in addition to my clients, uh, were struggling with. And 
the exorbitant steps that they took to make sure that they were taken care of before they went out to try to land another piece of business. And I think that's what it's all about here today. So Steve, Ray, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of what I know is an extremely busy schedule for you, Steve, and for Ray coming off his vacation house down at the uh, <laughs> river in New Jersey. So guys, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it, John. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate it. Great. So guys, can you talk a little bit more uh, beyond what I did about your um, your service op- uh, you know your service op- offerings because one of the things that I, I know is that you guys offer state-of-the-art integrated payment systems that incorporate both traditional and online tools. So can you talk a little bit about that for us? You want to jump? Yeah, sure. So I mean Sean, so traditionally, I mean we've had conversations where you know you'll refer us to, to a client or you know we'll be at a conference and speaking to clients. And they'll ask the basic question, like, why, you know, why card choice first, my local bank? I just, you know, signed up with my local bank. And that's the first place we kind of try to educate, at least in terms of what the difference is. Is there a standard? I mean, our industry is it's an it's an international association of, you know, card branded companies like Visa, MasterCard. And, And so people don't realize the complexity of the communication, you know, that needs to happen between, say, one bank to the next bank. Um, and by and by going to your local bank, I I kind of attribute, uh, you know, when 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 I'm doing my taxes, you know, I could go to you know, a, a, an H and R Block and get my basic taxes done, or I could go and find a, a, CPA. a CPA who who's niched or specialized in my particular industry. And I think that's where Ray and I kind of put ourselves. We are kind of a niched. Uh, client-centric focused type, more of a consultant type of company, as opposed to, you know, hey, what's the rate, right? That's the, right. the, the number one question we always seem to get is what's the rate, right? And, and, and so it's like going into the doctor's office and say, hey, doc, you know, my elbow hurts, what's wrong? Right? It's, 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 <laughs> it's exactly right. It's no, really- I, think that's a, I think that's a great analogy, you know, and, and this is why I think it's so important to have you guys on, right? <laughs> Because people need to understand that not all card servicing companies are the same. And I don't look at you guys just as another card processing organization because you guys have some outstanding analytics. You guys have partnered with other organizations that have bridges into practice management systems. You guys really have an opportunity and a way to integrate into a uh, payment, you know, a, uh, a PMS, uh, a practice management system within a physician's practice or a hospital. And I think that's really important because you're right. <clears throat> so many people think, you know, well, I, I, I've been with Bank of America for 10 years, or I've been with Truist, which, you know, used to be SunTrust, or I've been with my community bank or whoever it is. And, you know, they're always going to take care of me. And then it's amazing when you guys come in and you sit down and you say, Sean, take a look at this. Look at how many points you know, they're getting hit with and look at how many points I'm able to, you know, shave off for them or whatever it is. And I think we could talk about that a little bit further down. One of the other things that I know you guys really pride yourself on is making sure that the clients are getting paid more quickly. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about the, the you know, the uh, strategies that you all have deployed, the technology that you've deployed to allow the clients to be able to get paid faster? Yeah. So absolutely. So 
uh, f- funny story happened. I mean, we, we actually work a lot with the American Medical Billing Association. So we do a lot with medical billers. And uh, I remember when we went to the first conference with them, we thought we were real crafty. And, and we put badges on our, on, our, on our suits that said, you know, how are your receivables? And so we thought that would be a, a good conversation, you know, start starter. And, and what we found is that everyone seemed to have really great receivables. We'd ask them and they're like, how's your receive? Oh, ours, ours are great. Ours are fantastic. You know, and that's the problem that we find when we speak to, to most business owners or even billers is they think everything is good until we kind of open up the hood and, and, and look under there and find out, you know, things are really not as well as you thought they were. For instance, when we said, oh, great, you know, what are your days outstanding on your receivables? Are they 30 days? And like, oh, no, we're like 120 days out. I said, so are your receivables really good? Right. I mean, but that's all they knew. Right. So, you know, and, and are you sending out a thousand statements to, you know, for the same clients that you've been sending out for $30 to collect? And so th- I, I find that a lot of businesses practices will get into a rut and they stick in that rut. And until we kind of have a conversation, it's that's all we're really looking to do is just have a conversation. So we try to employ. Uh, techniques where I mean, we actually are, are working on technology now where we can have a, actually a text-to-pay solution, which is literally bringing that payment cycle. It can be down to three minutes, right? I mean, True. as soon wow, that's incredible. So, right, so think about it. I mean, in the past, it was send the statement out and then just wait, just wait for wait for a payment. So then we started to speak to medical billers and we said, you know, why don't you put a hosted payment page out there? Why don't you give your patients more options to make the payment as opposed to waiting for the check to come in or waiting for the credit card information to come in on a piece of paper that you can't write, which, by the way, is now starting to open your scope of PCI compliance to a much greater scope. Uh, Why don't you just throw that simple tool out there? Or why don't we ask for the credit card payment at the point of care, tokenize it, encrypt it? hold on to that information for a future payment. And if I can make an arrangement between the patient and the office uh, that we don't even have to send the bill out and just right. go ahead and capture that, either the copay payment or, uh, you know, what, what the EOB is, is coming back at, uh, that makes sense. And I would ask them, that makes sense, doesn't it? And they're like, yeah, that, 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 these are things that we've never, we don't understand how to do it. That's why we've never implemented it. Well, you know, I think it even goes a step further than that, right? Because, you know, before I became a, a, a compliance guy, a health law guy, you know, I, I started my career probably the first five years that I was doing this really in practice management and practice administration. I was an administrator for a hospital for a period of time. And, you know, I will tell you, <clears throat> people don't understand um, the costs associated with sending out statements. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, you know, it only cost us 30 cents. That's not true. If you do a cost analysis to figure out the labor to have somebody sit in front of a computer to figure that out, you got to buy the equipment, you got to buy the toner cartridges, you got to buy the stamps, you got to print this stuff, you got to pay for electricity. I mean, there's an entire equation that goes into trying to figure out exactly the costs associated with sending a statement. And, and and for me, I think you raised a great point. Why not take the time 
as a practice manager, administrator, a senior physician, and owner of the organization to educate your staff to say, we've got to collect at the time of service. You know, I used to, <clears throat> I used to um, talk in one of, you know, the lectures that I gave on practice management. And I would say, you know, I don't understand why medical providers are so afraid to ask for a copay and or deductible at the time of service, not on the back end, but prior to the patient going back. If you know Sean Weiss has Blue Cross Blue Shield PPO, and on that PPO, I have a $25 or $30 copay, irrespective of what transpires during that encounter between myself and the physician, I owe 30 bucks. Minimum. Get that payment. It, it, and, and I equate it to going to Target, right? You're not going to go into Target, grab a shopping cart, walk up and down the aisles, throw all the crap in there that you want, right? And then walk past that, you know, walk past the cashier on the way out and go, hey, see you next week. Send me a bill. It's not going to work that way. Right. John, let me chime into that. The Please. AMA, the AMA, I believe around five to six years ago, put out a statistic cost to running and generating a paper statement. From my memory, it was around $5 per statement going out. And they took that equation that you just named, I'm not going to beat it up again, exactly the way you said it. And I yeah. think it was right around $5, maybe even a little bit more. Now, go yeah. back to uh, the front desk conversation. People are afraid to ask. Normally what happens is these practices, they hire a minimum wage person to say hello to the patient. Actually, that is the face of your office right there. That's where you should have the most personality. The person that can friendly ask that for that payment in a friendly manner without the offense, even though you know you owe it, but say in such a nice way to make that patient feel good and make that payment. And that whole conversation needs to start right there with a yeah. very well-trained individual. I agree with you hundred percent. You know, it's all about patient experience and it's all about, you know, satisfaction. And, you know, I tell people all the time, you can't cheap out on the person that you put at the front desk. Who's the very first person that a patient sees. And most times the very last person that the patient sees and the first person oftentimes that they experience when they call into a medical practice. Right. So to pay somebody at the front desk a minimum wage or, you know, something below, um, you know, that same number that, that, look, they are they are an intricate part of the revenue cycle process. And if you have a glitch at the beginning, you're going to have problems on the back end. <clears throat> yeah. So, look, obviously, we could talk about this for an hour. But I want to get into the PCI conversation. But, Ray, I, I remember the study that you're talking about from the American Medical Association. There's been a couple of others. Actually, at Doctors Management, we did our own study that we published, and we found that the actual cost per statement runs somewhere between 8 to $10 per statement. And, okay. and, and, and that's in a small to medium-sized practice. Now, obviously, you know, you start getting into the large hospital networks and the large integrated delivery health systems where everything's based on a massive volume, you know, the costs start to decrease from there. But still, it's all relative, I think, is to your point. So mm -hmm. let, let's kind of transition into the PCI compliance. And yeah. 
before I start going into a whole barrage of questions with you guys, Steve, can you can you just give us a quick overview of what PCI compliance sure. actually is? Yeah. So it, it it is basically a standard, right? So it's a standard that's been kind of it's an it's an evolving standard, right? It's not just a standard and then we just follow it. It's it's a living, breathing entity. And so the card industry, when I say the card industry, I lump Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover. People don't realize that those those four companies are they're all on the stock exchange now. They used to be um, associations, uh, but now it's a full blown business. They all independently run themselves. They compete against each other, uh, but they compete in the same industry. And so what they've they've kind of thought about it and they said let's get together let's let's group together let's use all the knowledge that we have collectively through all the banks and and let's put a separate council together and it's that council's responsibility to analyze and review compliance matters that are happening and and so things are changing so rapidly i mean back in the 80s when credit card processing you know started well actually started in the 60s but you know in the early 80s late 70s is when it started to really Get get some teeth where people were kind of happy to have a credit card in their hand at that point. Yeah, at that point it was just a phone line and a machine. And I remember even you know working in retail, looking up the numbers in books, right, to see if that card was was valid. So there really was not much fraud at that point. Then phone uh, phone orders became big, right? All those mail order catalogs came in. And so now there's another element where I'm now giving a credit card uh, number over the phone and I'm giving it to somebody. So there's an element of fraud that happens. So so this whole whole process of compliance was designed around risk and fraud. So that's its its basis. That's why it's it's happening. And, And so I have fights on a daily, you know, weekly basis with 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 new clients, with associations I deal with. Everyone thinks that they have the answer and they 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 know it's like the wild, wild west. <laughs> and so it's my job to come and raise job. We kind of just, you know, we're not really educate. we're not really fighting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so I'm not starting to get else. nervous about the word fighting with clients yeah, and, vendors like, and associations. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so I am not the I'm not the council, right? So Ray and I right. are registered. Ray, we're a registered uh, ISO MSP, which is an independent sales organization, merchant service provider, to Visa, Mastercard, you know, through a registered bank. So, so we have some teeth behind us, and it's quite honest. We actually have the power to police. So if I have a client that says I'm, I'm not doing PCI compliance, regulatory wise, I'm actually supposed to identify that client to the card association and put them on what we call a TMF or terminated merchant file list. I've never done that before. Um, I think an, an educated conversation is better than um, uh, putting the business out of business. Yeah. You but, know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I actually have a client that uh, before I got involved in working with them to um, help, uh, you know, identify you know, when their PCI compliance certificate was due, um, you know, they were actually receiving a fine. Yeah. And they were getting fined for not being compliant. So I wound up having to have everything sent to me for their PCI compliance. And obviously, you know, um, I'm not somebody that, you know, 
I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but I don't have the time to be going on and filing all this stuff in top of everything that I, you know, also have to do, uh, you know, to make sure that their credit card systems are, are compliant. And I've reached out to you guys to say, Hey, this is a shared client. I need your help on this. And within 30 minutes, I'm having a response that this has actually been taken care of. So that's why I've really come to appreciate you guys. But let me, let me, let me ask you a couple of questions. Um, So, you know, Steve, are, are you able to, I'm sure you are. Can, why don't I just say, can you explain the difference between obtaining a merchant account from a local bank or even through a practice management system compared to actually getting it through card choice? Yeah, that's, that's a, it's not that it's a loaded question. It's, it's, it's one that requires um, a little bit more time. So I'll, I'll kind of give the, the 30,000 foot view of, of what, what it is. So, so before I mention that, you know, Ray and I are registered directly to, to Visa MasterCard. So when we started our business, we felt that there was, there was no regulatory process in our industry. There still really isn't. Um, and so when we were starting out, we, our, our credibility was the background checks, right? The, it's like be, being a broker and in the ins- uh, and and um in, in real estate. What right? he means by that background checks is Visa and Mastercard went into our lives. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's like a two month and made sure that we were worthy of representing their brand. Just yeah. to kind of give you an idea. So so here's the difference, right? So when I walk into my local branch to, to procure merchant services, it's it tends to be an easy scenario. Why? I just opened up my business. I need a checking account. I go in, I speak to the branch manager. The branch manager is opening up the checking account. You've now given them all your information, right? All your your, your business information. Personal. Your personal information. They have everything sitting there. So the next question the branch manager says, oh, would you like us to sign up a merchant account for you? Well, right. sure. What's it going to cost? And they'll throw some number out there, and the business owner is like, okay. They they have not invested really any time into into evaluating, you know, what is the credit card process going to look like in my business? It was just a question. So, yeah, I need them. Let's sign up for it. And so that process works. When people come to a company like us, I don't even talk about pricing first. That's the last thing I speak about. I want to, it's like being the doctor again. I I don't want to give you, you know, just what you're asking. Yeah, you want to diagnose the problems. You want to be able to understand the gaps in their process. And, that's right. You know, well, what's uh, important to them? Build a solution. You guys yeah, are building a solution. And they may not know what's important to them because the person right. at the bank just helped the local plumber set up their credit card machine. So there is zero comparison to a, a plumber or a contractor than there is to this complexity of a payment conversation and acceptance over the finish line with a patient. It's so different. Yeah. Plus, we like to kind of identify what's important to the client, right? What What is important to you? Is it is, it, is price the number one driver? Um, is convenience to your end customer the end driver? Is convenience to your staff? Is that what's most important to you? And so we can kind of facilitate a solution that works best for that client instead of me just regurgitating a solution down and saying, this is what you're going to use. And here's a, for instance, here's a real, this just happened a couple of weeks ago. We have a client that processes, they, they, um, they have a team of technicians that go out in the field. So they're, they're kind of a remote business. The technicians uh, use their cell phones to, to capture payment in the field. 
one one of the the requirements that they were looking for was they wanted a solution that their technicians can be out in the field but also capture a tip which it seems like okay that that shouldn't be a, a rough one but it, it was a pretty complicated solution because most tip environments are in restaurants they're not in like a field you know a service like a plumbing type of uh, of a client you just send them a bill they pay the invoice and say, so, well, we were, I was just like, well, why don't you just ask for the tip? And she was like, nope, my technicians don't want to ask for the tip. They want a solution that they could put in the hand of their, their, their client. And that it's, it will ask for the tip without the technician having to do it. So you can see these are unique scenarios. If I would have just regurgitated a solution, it, I would have never known if I didn't ask those questions. And I'll, I'll give you what another was, simple, what sorry. Was important, you know, to that type of, you know, and even the doctor's office that you were just, I wasn't going to talk yeah. about that one yet. The, I was going to talk about this anesthesiologist group. And what happened, they used to have credit card machines. Why? Because when they opened up the merchant account from the bank, they got credit card machines because that's all the banker knew. So we're like, you have this beret of different doctors here, and now you've got 30 machines. I think it was 28, but 30 machines for argument's sake. And you had to pick each doctor on a credit card machine. I mean, it's it's such a bad solution. Um, to do so, virtual terminals are available and you can consolidate all practices under one login so the medical biller can just toggle a doctor, et cetera, et cetera. But that's just having a simple, basic conversation with us on what is your business model because the anesthesiologist never sees the patient. Yeah. Got and, it. And plus, we're, we're, speaking to, we're speaking to practices. So we're taking the experiences we've learned from one practice and communicate that to another practice. Correct. So the, the more practices, the more clients that we're dealing with, we're taking that knowledge base and, and communicating it to, you know, to the end client. So everyone's, it's like a win-win scenario. Um, you know, when I speak at conferences, you know, I'm getting questions from, uh, you know, and they're just off the cuff questions from people out in, in the audience. And, and some of them are really great questions. Some of them are more price, you know, what's the price, you know, in front of a whole audience, they're asking the price again, you know, and and so we always have to try to kind of have the conversation that. So, for instance, Sean, so I could actually match people's pricing and still lower their cost. So it has nothing True. to do with the, with the prices. Right. So people don't understand that when they have the conversation with us, uh, we, we, we kind of educate them that by changing your business practice or maybe the bank coded your business type incorrectly. And we're just now going to correctly code it to the bank with us and now you're going to reap the re rewards of, of getting lower lower cost processing we still make the same profit yeah so but your cost went down which is yeah. our cost as well but so, it's knowing how to classify it, a business properly it's a very complex equation it's a dynamic pricing model and if you don't know what changes those dynamics you're lost that's what ray and i specialize in. we know what changes the dynamic Absolutely. I think that's so important. Well, let me ask you. So, you know, with COVID, you know, changing so much for everybody, right? Yeah. And and it's forced so many practices to adapt how they handle their revenue cycle. You know, how how is it that this impact, um, you know, takes place and, and in the current merchant account? I mean, do you yeah. advise a medical practice to review their current processing environment? Yeah, that's a great question. As a matter of fact, I was just reading an article. Visa just did a whole, you know, data research on post-COVID, and so we're starting to get all this data coming in from the post-COVID experience. And in a nutshell, 
what's kind of happened in post-COVID environment is the consumer. I'll call the patient the consumer at this point. We're all consumers. We're using the credit card to pay. They are looking for a, a much different payment environment than they've been used to. Uh, people are less face-to-face. -face. It's, it's more, we want slick, we want smooth, we want security. This is what the, the data is showing. Um, and as, as businesses are, are leaning this way and they're starting to spend more money now on, on technologies to, to make it less friction between them and their, and their consumer base, uh, how does that apply in the medical space? Well, if I was a general practitioner and before COVID, I was taking co-pays through a credit card machine, um, what kind of change? Well, now those practices might not be seeing the patient face-to-face. -face. They might be doing a little bit more telemedicine. Or sitting in a parking lot, or, yeah, potentially. Right. So what's happening now is when that account was first written, we identified to the bank that 90% of the transactions are going to be what we call swiped or in a face-to-face -face environment. Remember, PCI was about risk, so was pricing, right? So pricing changes as the risk changes. So before they were in what we would call a lower risk category. Now, because the bank is seeing more transactions that are keyed, right? It might go to a 50-50 or a 60-40 blend. What happens is there is now a surcharge. We call it a surcharge or a fee, fee downgrade. And so that business is now paying a higher percentage to accept those credit cards because they switched their business model. So absolutely, it's, it's always in a business's you know, advantage or best practice to review these types of scenarios, right? Did the right. pricing change? Did your environment change? Are there new solutions? Can I now have a machine that I could tap the credit card as opposed to handle the credit card? I, I just, as a matter of fact, during COVID, this is crazy. I had to go to a dentist. I had a, um, uh, an infection in one of my teeth. And yeah, just, they took care of everything, right? They, everything was clean. I walked in. Right. We, we masked up. As soon as I sat in the chair and I had to get, um, you know, I had to go for um, a root canal, whatever it was, uh, they then gave me a, a tablet. They handed me this tablet. They took my credit card. So when it came to the payment, like they forgot about, you know, I'm still sitting here. They, they just took my credit card with their hand. They left. They came back. And I'm just sitting in the chair saying they got the payments all wrong, right? I'm, they, you know, I don't, I don't know where they went with my credit card. They touched it with their hands. So as yeah. a consumer, I'm like, you know, they didn't think about that. They, they, yeah. so, and it is, you know, even my, 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 uh, my nephew. They're lucky they weren't touching Howie Mandel's card. He would have had an yeah. absolute meltdown. But, but you could see, like, the practices and the business of doing what they do best, which is the healthcare, when it comes to the management of what the consumer is looking for, that's where Ray and I come in. That's where our education, we specialize. I mean, Visa MasterCard specializes in one thing and one thing really well, how the consumer wants to pay, right? So we have all this data. And, and so knowing how the consumer pays <clears throat> helps us to educate the practice on, Which Lovers Day is outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. So, you know, we get into conversations about surcharges and, you know. Is it legal? Uh, yeah, is it legal? And I, and I got to tell you, you know, like 
I went last night with my wife and and we went for dinner to uh, a local merchant here and you know right on the door it says you know cash cash discounts right right but you know I pay with my debit card and did they you charge know, you the fee? I get charged a four percent fee and you know now if my wife wasn't with me. Ray, I would have used every Jedi mind trick that you know you've implanted into my head yeah. about explaining to them you can't do that, you're violating this law or whatever it is. And of course, my wife was like, Really, Sean, you know, don't do that. Don't embarrass we live here. What's that? <laughs> don't embarrass me. <laughs> don't embarrass me. Yes, that you know my wife very and, yeah. and and folks, just so you know the level of trust that I have with these guys. They actually handle all the credit card processing for my wife's OBGYN practice. And they've been with her now for a couple of years. And mm -hmm. the amount of money that they've actually saved her practice in credit card processing fees is astronomical. I, I, I'm, I'm not kidding. This was the reason why. Remember, I, I try to tell you all, my listeners, the reason why I have special guests on my show is to be able to introduce you to people that maybe you've never heard of or vendors that you don't have enough of an understanding about to really make an educated decision on why you want to transition away from the way that you've always done things to the way that maybe you should be doing things. So I want to talk about surcharges, right? Can a medical office legally surcharge a patient for using their credit card for a payment? Yes. yes. Okay. What about a debit card? No. no. Talk about the difference between a credit card versus a debit card. So, okay. so, so now, obviously everybody understands a credit card. <laughs> now, now every, before, because some people are probably listening or watching this right now and going, are you kidding, Sean? Everybody knows the difference between a credit card and a debit card, right? Credit card goes to Visa or goes to a bank or whatever. Uh, a debit card comes directly out of my, you know, my checking account or my savings account. What I'm talking about is what is the difference between utilizing a credit card to pay at your doctor's appointment versus using a debit card to pay where you have to put your PIN number in? That's where there's a significant difference. Am I wrong? Uh, well, you're you're partially correct. So let me okay, let me partially you, correct. No, which is, is good. Better I mean, than being wrong. Most most people are 100 percent wrong. I mean, <laughs> at least we're. <laughs> so his glass is half full. Jeez, so, thanks, guys. So what, I appreciate and, it. Yeah. So what happens here, right, is our, the the card associations evolve based off of litigation, right? So so we've even had federal federal regu regulation in in our industry, uh, and so. Certain things happen because of this this litigation. So it, it generally happens when like a company like Walmart or Target feels that they can put more money into their pockets. They'll find a way to 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 get together and sue the credit card companies. And then basically no one wins. There's just a settlement at the end. Based off of that settlement, new regulations happen. So here's what happens with debit. In the, in the early stages, debit used to be just a, a, the four digit pin. It used a debit separate rail, we call it a separate rail, but a separate communication path that allowed us to basically access money from our checking account when the bank gave us this debit card. We'd go up to an ATM machine 
and we take the debit out. Well, Visa, MasterCard said, well, we can make money on this. There's, there's a lot of transactions going this way. So they kind of created their own rail. And so what happened is, uh, you know, people were using that rail, but Visa was still charging the merchant the same fee as a credit card. And so Walmart came in and said, whoa, whoa, whoa that's, you can't do that. And so they settled. And then there was a reduction in cost for a debit card. Okay. What Visa does did now is they 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 basically we call it online debit and offline debit. So if you look at your credit card and it has a Visa logo on it and it says debit on the back, that's a dual rail a debit card. Meaning, I could put my pin in and it goes directly to my checking account. Right. Directly. That's a direct debit right out. Or I could do a pin or do a do pinless and say. Just run it as a credit card. And it gets run as a credit card, but it acts like a debit card. Um, what's happening here? Well, certain banks are making money on it. Others are not. So it's this, this constant fight between. The, it's still a debit card. So when we're surcharging, whether you use the PIN or whether you use it as a credit card, Visa says you cannot surcharge it. So, so okay. So I just want to make sure yes. I'm crystal clear on this, okay? If I'm issued through my bank, right? So I, I bank with a community bank. I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in that, right? Yep. Uh, I like to support my local community. So I bank with First People's Bank out of Pine Mountain, Georgia, and they issued me a MasterCard debit card. Yep. So my debit card, I could either use it with a pin or I could let it be swiped at a merchant without putting my PIN number in. Irrespective of how I use that card, it is not supposed to be surcharged. Am I correct? correct? 100% correct. 100% correct. Wow. So how, so let me ask this question. How do I get back those 4% charges that they're they're hitting my card? For? Well, well, there's one way you can do. You can call the, the number on the back of your debit card and say, hey, wait a second. I just was at this restaurant. They charged me 4%. Right. I'm not paying that, but I was already after the meal. I signed the ticket. There was no awareness. I knew nothing. Even if they make awareness on debit card, they're still in violation. You don't have to even believe us. You can go to Visa's website yeah. and just put in surcharging of a, a credit slash debit card and a list of rules will come up on what business owners need to do in order to surcharge to meet the standard set. And so, well, so what's happening here, right, is so after 2009, 2008, when the markets crashed, right, regulation came in to protect the consumer, right? And so it was a – at that time, back in 2010, there was, there was a policy that said, um, you know, businesses can, can give a discount for cash, right? Right. And so there, there's this convoluted – so people were kind of mixing and blending, and so people are pressing and moving up on the law, and as litigation is happening. So, so for instance, surcharging a credit card, it used to only be you can only do it in like 45 states. Now it's up to 48 states. So wow. what's happening is even the state regulation is changing. So you have to know what this what the federal regulation is. You have to know what your local state regulation is, right? So if I was a business and I was in Connecticut. And I surcharged, I would actually be 
against it's against the law to surcharge it's in Connecticut. It's a violation. Yeah, it's a violation. So you could either um, be fined by the state if the attorney general comes in, right? Or you're you're, you're p- potentially hedging the fact that the credit GMA. card the credit card association will pull your ability to take credit cards away. So Connecticut and excuse me, Massachusetts. Massachusetts are still the only two states left in the United States that can you cannot do a surcharge in. And Kansas well, was just added to the and, list. And Colorado too. About a, a month and a half ago. Right? And see, so I think this is so important. I think this is why. See, like for me, I said I like to I like to bank at my local community bank because I'm able to build a relationship. I think as we've gone through this conversation today, right? I I, I think people are listening to this and they're going, wow. Now I understand why it makes sense to have that one-on-one personal relationship with my vendor. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're talking about money, why would you not want to have that one-on-one relationship where you could pick up the phone and you could have somebody explain to you the way that you all are explaining it to our listeners today? You know, here's what you can and can't do. Here's why you shouldn't do this. Here's how you can increase your bottom line. Here's how you decrease your costs. I think, you know, these are the invaluable conversation topics that we're having today that I'm hoping our listeners are paying attention to. Uh, because, you know, just just listening to the conversation that we're having about, heck, I've been using my debit card to pay for dinners and I'm getting these surcharges. Man, I, I've probably paid a hundred dollars over the last year in surcharges without even recognizing that I had the right to go back and get that money because it's on my debit card, even though I didn't have to put a pin number in. So let me, let me, let me ask you another question. Um, and, and I want to kind of, uh, you know, I want to, I want to preface this by saying, you know, there's still a lot of medical practices that are not in the 21st century yet. Right. Uh, the doctors don't like social media. They don't want websites. You know, they don't believe in marketing because, you know, they've always been successful by word of mouth or, you know, they're the only cardiologist within a 30 mile range. And, you know, they could use the yellow book, right. Or yellow pages, whatever you call it. But let me ask you this, you know, some of my listeners out there don't have websites. It's just a fact. I mean, I, I had these conversations with them about, you know, branding and, and, and social media and marketing and all that stuff, but they just don't want to have a website. So is there a way for them to still process or take online payments? Is that still a possibility if you don't have a website? Absolutely. Can you talk, can you talk about that, please? So, so what we would do for them is they don't need a website. We would actually build them a hosted payment page. And all their payments would be directed to the hosted payment page. And it's all branded. It looks exactly like them. They can add verbiage and talk to their patients in a very basic manner. It's not a full-blown-out website, but it's it's a, a tool that they can utilize. And that'll allow them to be directed on the patient statement if they want. They could put a link to it. Um, they can email the link and direct the patient. And then we can identify the patient by when we're building the hosted payment page by a couple of key factors so that we know whoever's paying online will still come back in and, and they could see that Mr. Jones or Mrs. Jones had made that payment. So, yes, the answer would be they can uh, still take payments online without a website. 
Yeah, and so right. what, we're, what we're utilizing too is we specialize a lot in e-commerce. So okay. e-commerce is so is light years ahead of retail. So what I mean by that is in terms of security, uh, online payments are probably you know especially through COVID now because right. people aren't at retail. Uh, this is where most of the data breaches are occurring are on on you know in these online environments. So partnering with someone who's skilled, knowledgeable is very, very important. As a matter of fact, I was looking at some statistics over the weekend, and again, all the reports for the since 2017 or even 15, every year I pull these reports, the healthcare industry always sits on the top of the list for breaches. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, again, and it's because they're sitting in an environment where a I have personal information, and you know as a bonus I might be able to get the credit card information, right? So it's highly attractive to go there. Um, so maybe that might be a reason why a, a practice might not want to have a website. They just want to deal with that whole process. But utilizing these these PCI compliant hosted payment pages that we offer. It's certainly a val valid way to accept the payment. When you send the statement out, you could put a, a link right in the statement. You know, go go to this URL. Uh, we, even with this technology, we could push that link through an email, right? So that email could be sent out, and a client can make a payment straight through the email with the link. So we embed the link inside the email, uh, and this all comes from e-commerce. So we're just adapting that and bringing it to uh, this. I call it the small to mid-sized level clients. The larger institutions have the budgets to bring these types of technologies and they have an IT staff. And I find that's where most of the problem is. And, and, the, and like with the mid to lower tier, they just don't have the budget, uh, but they could still now process just like the big guys uh, without having to spend a lot of money. But having that conversation opens that up. And these are the things that I, you know, I think if people would take the time to engage with their vendors to ask these kind of questions, you know, they sit back and say, why am I, why am I with this vendor who's not helping me to avoid these potential, you know, compliance pitfalls, these potential, you know, disasters and, you know, healthcare for whatever reason, we we have such an enormous amount of fraud. Uh, we have such an enormous amount of breaches. One of my special guests that was on uh, my podcast yesterday, we were talking about uh, their breach uh, and the OCR, the HIPAA uh, uh, violations that they uh, ran into. <clears throat> their initial fine was over $13 million. Um, on negotiations, it came down to $8 million, and then I got involved and worked with the OCR and got it down to about $1.5 million. But still, $1.5 million yeah. on something that had they just had a conversation with their vendor to understand their security protocols and, you know, what their risk management process was and, you know, how they – handle potential breaches into their system, they, they could have avoided this entire debacle. Yeah. Look, in, in, in the closing time that we have together, <clears throat> I have just a couple more questions for you guys. Um, you know, uh, one of those questions is, uh, what is PCI DSS compliance, right? 
because I know we're talking about payment card industry and data security standards, but what in just a very down and dirty explanation, can you can you tell yeah. our, our 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 listeners what that actually means? Yeah. So so what what really is happening is it's basically a technical requirement that's explicitly outlining necessary policies. That's 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 what PCI compliance and it's it's designed around 12 requirements. Um, and these requirements are first set up as goals. Right. So. For instance, uh, building and maintaining a secure network, that's that's one of the goals. And what will happen is depending on the type of business that you are, the amount of transactions that, that are coming through your business, a specific questionnaire will be uh, required to answer those. So what I mean by that is a smaller practice will have a, a much easier PCI compliance scope than, say, someone who's implementing a much larger solution. It, it makes sense that, I mean, it's, it's it, and so that's one of them is maintaining uh, a, a secure network. So for instance, if you're just a regular retailer running a credit card through a phone line and you don't have internet in your business, that would be like the least risk. So you'll have the least amount of questions. Got it. Um, it it's, it's a process that will show you how to protect the cardholder data. Uh, maintaining vulnerable management programs, basically, uh, who's who's involved in touching the credit card information? Are you limiting that? Are you scoping that out? Um, access controls, right? Are you implementing access controls to, uh, let's say, a, a virtual terminal? Is, is is there a specific login? Or are you giving everybody your... Is there a hierarchy? Yeah, are you giving everyone your login to log into, you know, so that would be... so. That's part of um, PCI, and then also maintaining a, a security policy yeah. in case of a breach. And so what we do is, with, with our banks, is we use third-party, what we call third-party facilitators, to help our clients maintain or reach these, these compliance. It's an annual audit. Mm -hmm. It needs to be done annually. Um, and in some cases, a quarterly scan of your network is required, depending on, on, on how exactly. you process yeah. And right. so, Sean, one of, one of the big questions I get at a lot of conferences, you know, I'm HIPAA compliant. I don't need to be PCI compliant. Like, I, I get this a lot. And I, I just, it's, I don't know where this myth came from, but they're two totally separate. Right, because one deals with privacy and security and the other one's dealing with financial compliance. That's correct. That's right. So, you know, and so HIPAA is, is, is a, it's a security regulation that's set up by the government. Right? That's right. Where PCI compliance is a security regulation that's set up by private industry. It's a, it's a big difference. I mean, you're, you're too totally. So I, I actually use a slide where I have a roadway with a with a yellow double line down the middle. So we're kind of paralleling each other, but but we really don't cross. We're we're working in the same environment, very similar. Or a lot of people will say, "Oh, my bank said they were PCI compliant, so I don't need to be PCI compliant." That's also a, a major fallacy. If you take $1 as credit card payment in your business annually, uh, you must maintain a level of PCI compliance. It's, there's no getting around There's it. just no way around it. So, again, let's, let's clarify this for, for everybody who's listening. Just because you're HIPAA compliant does not mean that you're PCI compliant. And just because your bank tells you that they're PCI compliant 
does not mean that you're PCI compliant. PCI compliance falls onto each individual business as a sole responsibility to ensure that you're maintaining compliance with the standards that have been established to protect the integrity of a consumer's financial that's uh, a, uh, 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 you know financial information. So that's correct. Right. Yeah. So uh, just one last thing on that. Too, just because we're on this, is um, so if, if you if you go to the HSS website and and you really get down to the nitty gritty of it, you know, there's an area where they're talking about you know personal health information, um, and it's for, for protected health information. Right. And in part of that. One of the things is, you know, you have to protect the name of the client, the social security number, the driver's license. And if you're taking payments, you need to protect the debit and credit card information. And so a lot of a lot of clients will ask us to sign a business associate. Degree. Well, you know, you're 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 main, you know, you're handling our data. So it's a fallacy. The merchant service providers under the regulation are not required to sign a B.A., but. If I'm a medical biller and I'm taking the credit card payments on behalf of your clients, you, you, you need to have those regulations in place between you and the medical biller. Right. right. Because they have access to the protected health information as where you guys are simply processing a dollar amount for services that have been rendered, whereby you don't have any access to any protected health information, CPT codes, diagnosis codes. Correct. anything that's so correct. i i think that's a huge point and i think I, I think that's something that you know our our audience uh is is picking up on as you're talking about that so yeah. all right so listen guys i think we've reached the end of our time together today uh i want to say thank you so much to ray mcgrogan and steve kleinberg co-founders of card choice services uh, card choice international <laughs> I, you know, Ray, I was going to throw that services in there at some point, That's but right. this is Card can Choice I, International. Can I throw in one more point before you close this down? Yeah, please. So, so I just wanted to clarify what surcharging is. Surcharging is where the patient pays the credit card fee. Right. We spoke about it so matter of fact, surcharge, surcharge, debit surcharge, but we didn't actually say what it is. And I want to make sure that everybody understood that the patient now will pay your credit card fee. You will still pay a debit fee, which is very low, but you, your patients now. So in other words, you're going to alleviate all of your credit card fees, including American Express in most cases. And, and, and we have the specific technology that will distinguish whether it's a debit card or a credit card. So it's now following the, the rules and regulations. Set Your staff things. doesn't need to know, oh, this is a debit card. Oh, we can't surcharge. It's done in the technology. That's awesome. Okay. All right. So, One more piece. Please. You spoke in the beginning about uh, we have multiple uh, third-party relationships into like um, Cerner and all these large, Epic and McKesson, all these large uh, EMR practice management systems. They also have an integrated credit card processor. Your audience may not know that since we have um, also relationships with them, we can control the credit card processing at a lower expense as well as 
possibly introduce new technology that the current relationship doesn't offer to you. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, again, I have to say, it. you know, um, Ray, I see in the background, you got your Yankees uh, swag. Uh, I noticed that that looks like Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> I saw, I just saw a, um, uh, a show uh, on the MLB network, the pride of the Yankees. And it was a great story about Lou Gehrig uh, coming up as a kid and earning his way into major league baseball. Oh boy. And then um, <clears throat> you got to have um, this tip. Okay. This is, Thank you, Ray. This Thank is the floor. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Folks, I told you, you never know what you're going to run into when you join into one of my podcasts. But look, uh, before I waste any more time talking about the Yankees, which is exactly what it is, a waste yeah, of time. Yeah, 27 minutes you can spend on 27 World Series rings. Yeah, but none in the 21st century. So uh, let me go ahead and just say, if you want to reach out and familiar, familiarize yourself more with Ray McGrogan and Steve Kleinberg, Please visit them at www.cardchoice.com. Again, it's www.cardchoice.com. Ray, Steve, I want to say thank you so much for coming on to the show, doing such a great job of explaining PCI compliance, explaining the difference between credit card processing merchants and the fact that not all of them are the same. Again, I hope that you guys will take time down the road to come back on the show as things evolve within the PCI compliance world and as more uh, technology becomes available to help uh, streamline the process, cut the costs, and maximize the bottom line for medical providers across the industry. So with that said, guys, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you to each and every single one of our listeners for joining in today. Again, this is the Compliance Guy podcast. My name is Sean Weiss, and I promise I will try to do better next time. But until then, take care, be good to yourself, and most importantly, be good to each other. <laughs>